Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savor the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. A really important part of British cheese heritage is what are called its territorial cheeses, such as Lancashire or Cheshire. We talked to cheesemonger Andy Swinsco of the Courtyard Dairy about this very British tradition, and farmer and cheesemaker David Clark of the Leicestershire Handmade Cheese Company tells me why he started making his acclaimed Sparkenhoe, an artisan Red Leicester cheese. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose... Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. This week on A Slice of Cheese, very happy to have with me again an old friend of the programme, Andy Swinsco of the Courtyard Dairy. Good morning, Andy. Good morning, Jenny. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. Um, Lovely to be here talking to you again. This week, Andy, we're looking at territorial cheeses. And this is a phrase that's used a lot when you read histories of British cheeses. This phrase comes up, but I don't think a lot of people know what it means, really. So perhaps we could start by you tell us what, what does it mean, that phrase? Yeah, I think that is, well, it's a great point. I think that we're often guilty in the cheese industry of using terms that actually the public don't understand. And I think we say, oh, these are the territorial cheeses and people don't really know what that means and what that encompasses. And so Territorial cheeses, I mean, when you boil it down, it means they come from the territories that they're from. So they often take the names of those counties that they developed in or, or the areas that they developed in, whether it be Cheddar from the Somerset region, you know, took its name from around the town, the town of Cheddar, Leicester, Lancashire, Gloucester, Wensleydale from the, from the Dale of Wensleydale, all those, what I would call, consider the real historic uh, bastions of, uh, of British cheese, really. And they don't tend to include Stilton in it too much for reasons which are beyond me. Um, but <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I would say that that's as much as territorial cheese. I would say they're kind of the historic, original British cheeses that are characterised historically from the, the regions, the territories that they came from, and that's where they took their name. 
That's a very good way. Thank you. Yes, that's very clear. And really fascinating because it is very, as you say, and I love that word, the use of the word bastion there. This, these are like the backbone of British cheeses, aren't they? These are some of the great classics that we have in this country. So it's interesting, Andy. So obviously, you know, as we know, cheese making has, has you know, in Britain has, has ebbed and flowed and suffered a lot of pressures. Is this a tradition that has been maintained through? Is there a line? Are there cheesemakers still making these, these historic cheeses then? Yeah, I think that, I mean, it's, a, it's that old adage of British cheese, that, that historic timeline that you see of British cheese having, some would consider glory days and then some would consider dark days, but I think even in the glory days it was a very different beast to, we, you know, we, we rest our hat on, it was amazing years ago, whereas actually I'm pretty sure it probably wasn't, you know, but there was definitely more <laughs> diversity um, and there was definitely more interest uh, and more uniqueness being made on a community level on, a, on a, and each community would make a whole range of different cheeses. And I think, yeah, you, you trace that line back, you can go back, in the case of Wensdale, to, to, you know, probably about 1086 when the, you know, the monasteries came over and, and Cheshire beyond that. And you can chase the, trace these back all that way, these t- traditional cheeses, but there is no doubt that they have changed and evolved. And I'd probably say what we expect of a territorial cheese nowadays is evolutions from about the 1800s onwards. That's when science, technology, equipment became more standardised and as a result kind of the cheeses became more standardised and consistent as well. Are these cheeses still being made in the places where they were being made? And you just and you said, you know, so Kirkham's Lancashire is a fine example of that, isn't it? Made in Lancashire, yeah. Appleby's Cheshire, um, yeah. made on the Cheshire Plain. So, yeah, we've got... So it seems we a do. very sort of characteristic thing of, of the British cheese scene. And it's the style, there is a sort of style to, a similarity to some of those territorials, isn't there? Yeah, I think that what happened is that they, the territorial cheese evolved in their territories as a necessity from kind of where they were and how far they away from market and who they were selling it to. And the classic example, if you look at things like cheddar, they're big, hard, dry cheeses that um, because the farms down there were bigger, the land is more flat and rolling. They had more milk, could employ probably a cheesemaker as a result or have somebody dedicated to cheesemaking as a result and make big, hard, dry cheeses to trade and travel with where you come up to the Dales where I am. The land is much more challenging. It's much more cut off from the world. The farms were much smaller, the cheese was consumed much more locally, and the average side of a Wednesday is about two to three kilos compared with 25 kilograms of a cheddar. And, and that's just, mm. they evo- that size I'm looking at there, but not just distinct styles. So, yeah, historically they developed in these regions of distinct types, but then when cheese making improved, and, and this improvement was led by kind of dairy professionals and dairy experts, a lot of the techniques used that worked really well in certain areas soon spread. So, for example, up in Wensdale, they would brine rather than salt. They wouldn't mill their cheeses in the same way. But actually, consistency was better following some of the techniques that were used in the South West, and they spread throughout. So, actually, the, the recipes started to evolve into kind of a lot of similarities uh, across the board, whereas I think those recipes would have been more distinctly different if you go back three or 400 years as knowledge didn't spread as fast. Yes. But kind of those advancements with knowledge and science meant that the some of the good techniques that were used in other regions got adapted and, and adopted sorry, by, by the region you're in. Right. And so as a result, the cheese became more kind of similar in some regards. And the recipes then spread back. And, you know, nowadays, you know, there's Wensdale che- cheese makers who make cheddar as well. And there's cheddar makers who make kefili. So yes. even though they started in those distinct regions, the recipes then became kind of recipes. And now, uh, you know, a lot, you know, cheddar, cheddar is made throughout the world, as I'm sure you know. And, you know, as is Wensdale and as is Leicester and Lancashire. So they do still have a bit of a regional focus, particularly not so much in cheddar, but 
the majority of Lancashire is still made in Lancashire. The majority mm. of Windsor Dale is still made in the Dales, you know, so, but they are made everywhere. And do you see, you know, one of the things I've been talking about on this programme, something I've seen in my own career as a food writer, is the sort of um, people coming to the British, you know, new cheesemakers uh, setting up in Britain and making cheeses. And are some of these sort of, you know, younger cheesemakers, I don't mean younger, that they have to be younger, but that they're newer, perhaps, newer cheesemakers might be a better phrase. Are they looking at this territorial history and are they, are they making territorial cheeses, you know, once again? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So what happened is you obviously had that resurgence of people going, more people going into cheesemaking. And um, a lot of people in, the, in those early days went for, for want of a better term, I would say like the, the sexy cheeses, kind of those continentals, those <laughs> soft, doozy ones, those sweet, nutty flavours, those kind of really, you know, the flavours that people seem to love and, and they look cool. And a lot of Britain's historic cheeses went by the wayside. The nuances within the, the flavours of, of a good quality territorial cheese, of a good Leicester or a good Gloucester or a good Dale's cheese mm. um, were lost. And I think actually some of those cheeses suffered from industrialisation and, and they, you know, I think cheddar industrialises fairly well. You know, block cheddar is still yes, quite a good product. I agree. But I, yep. I, I, I think that some of the other territorials lost their character with industrialisation and factory making. And I think that people didn't see them as good quality cheeses and, and never went back to them. And so for a long time, there was no kind of resurgence in the territorial cheeses, which is a pity because when you get a good one and, and like Winyeats, Fellstone or Kirkham's Lancashire is an example of that, they're not big and brash in flavour, but what they have is this undercurrent of a rich depth and diversity of flavour and a texture which is just fabulous. And I think what we've been trying to do and encourage is actually people to look at those traditional recipes and make cheeses that are true to their region. There's a reason these cheeses became famous, you know, you know there's a reason they had a reputation garnered worldwide. And when they're made correctly and with real quality milk. Uh, they can be a delight. So you have seen in the last maybe five, ten years, we've seen a bit of a few more people looking at the territory and actually wanting to go back in Britain's history and try and recreate that. And I think that's a, that's a fine thing, you know. We should be proud of the cheese we've made in these regions and, you know, they should grace any, any good cheese board. And your wonderful cheese shop is in Yorkshire. Have you got, and I know you're, you're very committed, Andy, to sort of trying to nurture cheese making and encourage it. Have you got local cheesemakers in Yorkshire making cheeses are very characteristic of Yorkshire. Yeah, I think that's one of the things when you, we're most proud of in our business, that when we set up our business 10 years ago, there wasn't a, a raw milk farmhouse cheesemaker within 30 miles, not one. And, and round us, you know, there's a little village near me called Keysden, and that means Valley of the Cheese. You know, oh. everywhere you drive around where we are, there's cheese presses still on the side of the road. You know, I can think within five miles, there is probably about six or seven stone cheese presses just sitting in people's houses on, on the, in their gardens because yeah. every single farm around here made cheese but that completely died out and there's lots of reasons for that but we lost it all and i think that's mm. a shame because wensdale and they've made cheese in the dales not just wensdale but throughout the dales mm. for a thousand years that's part of britain's history yeah. and um so when farms came to us and said we're looking at diversity diversifying I was quite keen that we actually tried to make cheeses. There was all these the old recipes that we had and this history of this area that we made recipes that were true to this region. And now, within that 30 miles, we have three cheesemakers who make unpasteurised, farm-made Wensdale with milk from their own animals. And uh, I think that's a fabulous thing. It's not just Wensdale per se, but these traditional Dale-style cheeses. And they're one in Wensdale, one in Loonsdale, and one in Nidderdale. And for me, that's a fabulous thing because they're all distinctly different. Uh, and, it's, and, it's, and it's great to try and recreate a bit of that history, uh, but move with the times at the same time and, and have this regional identity to cheeses that were made up here. 
That's wonderful. And so, you use that phrase, Dales, cheeses. Was there a style of of cheese making in, in the Dales? How would you describe a Dales cheese? Yeah, I mean, a Dales cheese, I don't think, is, is big and brash in flavour. It's not going to come and slap you around the face. Mm. Um, it's not a strong, powerful cheese. But I would consider it to be quite light and fresh and clean in flavour. It can sometimes have a real depth of flavour, and Stonebeck is, is, is one to look at. Supple, sometimes slightly crumbly, you know, those kind of lighter textures, not firm with a distinct mm. snap. Um, smaller cheeses, they're often three to five kilos or two to five kilos, and just kind of very pleasant to eat. You know, they're very yes. approachable flavours. Um, they can sometimes have a rich depth of flavour, but they're very, you know, I would consider simple cheeses that you want on a plowman's, that you want with a bit of fruitcake, that you and want they, to kind of, your yes. everyday cheese in my opinion, but just you can eat a lot of it and by Jove it's tasty. <laughs> That's a very good one. I think that word pleasant is a really brilliant description actually, of that very, the sort of gentle pleasures that that style of cheese you know, I'm thinking here of Kirkham's Lancashire. Yes. You know, it's, I find it quite irresistible because, and again, it's a lot of it is the texture as well as the flavour. Um, yeah. yeah, and these are cow's milk cheeses, are they, are they all, Andy? Yeah, historically, although naturally, if you go, I mean, this is the great thing about tradition and territorial cheeses is where do you want to set your tradition? Because you, <laughs> yes. if we, we, you know, it, it's, and that's, it's, this is a bigger question is what is tradition? I'm sure we've covered it on, on previous chats. But, you know, if you, look, if you give some of these Dale's cheeses that we're stocking now to, um, ardent Wensdale fans and they'll go well this isn't crumbly and acidic you know and, and that's mm. what modern day people nowadays associate Wensdale in fact over 60% of Wensdale production has flavours in it so people associate Wensdale as being flavour added or they associate right. it with being crumbly and acidic whereas go back 100 years it'd be probably more like the ones we're tasting here go back 300 years it'd be different again go back yeah. 500 years it'd be sheep's milk you know and so it, we're, we're, I'm saying we're selling traditional Wensdale types but that's just because I've chosen the point in history where I like you know so it's um, well, so yes. it, you know so it, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. but yeah so there would have definitely been sheep's milk cheese and it's something we're uh, keen to see going forward is it's kind of a uh, a Dale style made with sheep's milk is, is, is would be a, another great yeah. Um, string to our bow I think it would be another great step along that you could almost tell the history of British cheese through a cheese board in just one region you know and I think that'd, that'd be, be brilliant nice, wouldn't it nice I mean when you think of, of the role that sheep played in Yorkshire's history and how much wealth they gave to the region you know sheep farm is this big part isn't it of, of your of Yorkshire so yeah, oh, yeah. that would be yeah, good. I feel a project coming on, Andy. All right, well, that's yeah. exciting. Well, I hope we, perhaps, you know, be able to catch up in a, you know, a few years and, and you'll be able to tell me about a new, you know, Dale's Sheep's Cheese. That would be wonderful. So yes. how do they go with your customers, these territorials? Do you find, I mean, is it some, is it, do you find as a cheesemonger that you will introduce people to these, this style of cheesemaking, to this sense of the past and history and territory? Um, and is that something that people respond to? Yeah, I think, I mean, people grow up on certain taste profiles. There's no doubt my, the cheese shop, the Cotillard Dairy up here in, in Yorkshire, we sell more what I would consider um, fresher cheeses, Cheshire's, Lancashire's, Caffillies, Wensdale types. And I think that's mm. because people around here grow up on that. You know, I, I do think we still have regional taste profiles. They buy the local cheeses, they, they, they grow up on it, they like that. And yeah. so we sell a lot of that style of cheese, you know, in general in our shop. We sell more of that style than we do any other. And so these Dale styles just fit neatly into that um, in terms of their flavours and how they approach them. And one of the interesting things is, is to kind of give people a taste of the, the, the different styles of Dale style cheeses we do when they come in the shop and just, just showcase how the same cheese made on a different farm can make a real different product. And that's really what we're trying to do here is that's what, that's the, that's the brilliance of farmhouse cheese, isn't it? The, we're making a, a product unique to that parcel of land.
and, yeah. um, and and I think yeah so people are very open to that that's the reason people come to our shop is to have that experience wonderful oh, well Andy thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us been been great take care no problem thank you bye Andy I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers and they go beautifully with cheese all Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch. Visit petersyard.com forward slash shop, enter the code slice of cheese at the checkout to receive 25% off your first order. Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon, petersyard.com and specialist food retailers. Very happy to have with me today on a slice of cheese, David Clark of the Leicestershire Handmade Cheese Company. Hello, David. Hello, Jenny. David, this episode is all about territorial cheeses, and I know that you're you're noted for your Sparkenhoe, which is a Leicester cheese, which I'm really intrigued by. I want to hear more about it. So, tell me, what was your route to to cheese making? Where did you come from? Well, we were dairy farmers. We had a very mixed farm, actually. I farmed in partnership with my father and brother, um, but we realised that we needed to diversify. We weren't farming enough land to make it all profitable. Right. So we looked at just about everything that you can think of, like every other farmer has, in, in ways to diversify. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we decided that m- making cheese would be a good thing to do. I think my father w- was quite keen for us to do that. So uh, we looked into making cheese, and, but we weren't really sure what sort of cheese we were going to make because, you know, it's difficult to choose. What, what do you choose? Red yeah. Leicester had a terrible reputation. People yes. <laughs> fed it to their dogs or whatever. It, just, it was just rubbery, bouncy. Nobody really yeah. liked it much. Yeah. So anyway, in the, in, in the end, I went to a pub and met an old friend who's a butcher's son. And, and he was telling me about the, the last Red Leicester cheese, which was made in Leicestershire by a, f- a family called the Shepherds, which uh, was in the, farmed in the v- village of Bagworth. He was telling me about how he used to go and fetch this cheese with his father, and he'd, he'd sit in the back of his father's van. And I just pictured him, he used to sit with his shorts in the back of his van on, on this cheese oh, on, on yeah. the way home. And he, <laughs> he just sold it to me, really. He was pontificating about how, what a wonderful cheese it was. I came back from the pub, spoke to Joe, and and said, "I think we should make Red Leicester." And she said, "Don't be ridiculous; it's terrible stuff." But what we decided to do was set out if we could make it how he remembered it, and how yeah. other of the older generation remembered it. Then, then maybe we could we could get it right. So that's, that's what we set out to do. That is quite yes. That takes a lot of chutzpah. I was going to say. I mean, that's quite a challenge, isn't it? I mean, that's interesting because it is. It has become very debased through industrialization. So, but how fascinating is how did you set about then? How you know, it's one thing to think I want to make cheese, but then you've actually got to make the cheese. Did you? How did you get you know cheese knowledge? How did you acquire that? Uh, well, we we had very little. To be perfectly honest, I had been around a cheese dairy before, um, but but beyond that, I knew very little about making cheese. We went on a, a AB cheese making course uh, with Chris Ashby uh, and Val Bynes, and we oh, we spoke. Yeah. I mean, really, other cheese makers were amazing. The Jones Brothers, Lincoln Chipotle, oh. um, to, to to name uh, for a start. Yes, everybody was so helpful, uh, and they really took the view that if we got it right, that we wouldn't be competition for them, that we might help to raise the, stand, the, 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 the standards, not necessarily the standards, the profile of British yeah. cheese. So they were, they were very kind and, and lots of people showed us around and were very helpful. And we spoke to potential customers 
uh, we were applying for a rural development grant, so we needed to prove that there was a market for the cheese we were going to make. Oh, so okay. we spoke to lots of customers, and they were also very helpful and wrote letters of support. So, right. um, it was, and I'm still learning now. That I think that's an important thing to, yes. to recognise. Yes, and this is what you started what, in in the early is it 2005? Is that when you start making? Yeah, it? I think November 2005 we made our first batch of, of red Leicester. So that was the right. first batch of red Leicester that had been handmade on a farm with raw milk for about 50 years. So um, wow, isn't it, that amazing? Yes. That's quite a moment, isn't it? And I imagine that people, you know, a lot of cheesemongers in Britain, as you say, the, I, one of the things I love, and it's partly why I love making these programmes, is that I really love the, the sense of community I find in the British cheese world, you know, incredibly nice people who are very collaborative often, you know, across, you know, cheesemakers helping other cheesemakers, cheesemongers, you know, all sort of on the same side in a way, on the side of, of good cheese, I suppose, um, to put it as one, one way. So were they, were, were cheesemongers like Niels Yardery, were they really helpful in, in giving you advice and oh absolutely and and they yeah. still do now and you know i um i think um of all the things we could have chosen to do i think we probably picked the most difficult uh, the yeah. most intensive and, and the most time consuming uh, but i think it's also probably the most rewarding thing that we could have done and i uh, and i think it, we've not just entered a new enterprise and started selling something We've also now got a whole new community of friends who oh. I meet uh, and socialise with. I'd, I'd like to do more uh, yes. and see them more. Um, but, yeah. you know, whenever we see them, you know, we always share a pint and, it, and it's great. So it, it is a lovely, the cheese world is a, a lovely community to be in. So it, yeah, it's very I, nice. Yeah, I think I just want to think one of the, that's so interesting because another cheesemaker I interviewed said exactly the same to me that they, I don't know if it was Johnny Crickmore, just going to this different, you know, suddenly being in a world which is full of people who are really genuinely interested in what you're doing. So, in fact, I was curious to know, so you talked about using raw milk. Was that something that central to how you wanted to make cheese when you started making it? Uh, yes, it was because we realised that because we were going into it in a small way that, that if we did it, we had to aim high and... Yeah. And we looked into uh, cheesemongers' shops and, and, you know, we saw names like Montgomery's and Kirkham's, yes. uh, Keen's, uh, yeah. Applebee's, you know, all, all those, all those well-known raw milk yeah. cheesemakers' names. And we thought, we aspired to be like them. And we thought, that's, that's yeah. where we've got to aim. With that. That's what we want to do. Uh, Brilliant. And, and for, for Red Leicester. And, and obviously, tell us, talk us through the making, David, because that would be very interesting to hear how, you know, the size of it for people who haven't, you know, and actually, that's a really interesting point. You know, when do people get to try, you know, an artisan Red Leicester? Um, so you often don't even see it. You already have seen it perhaps as a little packet in a supermarket wrapped up. What, 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 what's the size, the shape, the weight? And this is how old? I'd be interested to know that, the maturing time. For me, the making starts with the, with the cows and how we feed the cows. As a dairy farmer, Perfect. I fed yeah. the cows to optimise our milk production and the fat and protein were in there. But, but I look at it in a completely different way now. And we try oh, to feed yeah. the cows as sustainab sustainably as possible. Uh, but the ingredients we feed the cows must in make the milk good for making cheese. So that, that's a right. very important part of it. Yes, uh, yeah. And we milk the cows, pump the milk across warm, add it to the previous afternoon's milk. So it's about oh. 17 degrees centigrade when it gets into the into the uh, cheese vat uh, yeah. and then we go through it it's it's a fairly similar process to making cheddar in lots of ways uh, right. temperatures are different uh, time spans are different um, but you could use similar equipment really mm -hmm. and, but, and when we get it into the cooling table we don't cheddar it as a cheddar maker would do so we don't right. stack the blocks of curd up uh, and then recut them we just lay them 
lay them out and keep turning them flat. Right. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then obviously the, the the mold is a different shape and a different slightly different size. So our our big cheese are twenty kilos and they're eighteen inches in diameter, and our smaller ones are ten and a half kilos and about fourteen inches in diameter. So mm. a red Leicester is a lower, flatter cheese than what a what a cheddar is. And, we do, and the big ones tend to be a bit of a problem because they're just too big on a, on a deli counter. So we don't sell many big ones. We tend to use those at cheese festivals and such. Do they mature for longer because they're bigger? Would you mature them for longer? Or yes, we do tend to. Oh, we do okay. tend to. And it works well at a cheese festival for them for them to be. Yeah. It's a bit of fear. When you open a big 18-inch cheese up and, and pull the, the muslin off, it's, it's a bit of theatre anyway. So we like to... We like yes. to do that. And, and we like theatre. Yes, yes, wonderful. Yes. Yeah, it's great. And it's I like wonderful sure smell. a bit of an audience. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And this is when you break into, you know, that first opening of a cheese, you get a wonderful smell, didn't you? And that's also very, yeah, very absolutely, lovely yes. too. Yeah, very often at a cheese festival, there's lots of cheesy smells. So they might get, you get an amalgamation <laughs> of cheesy smells. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and how long would you mature it for then? The small, perhaps, yeah, perhaps fix on the smaller one then, if that's your, the one that okay, you sell so most Okay, so our of. current yeah. profile is about six or seven months, which is oh, okay. partly because we're very short of cheese. We increased oh. production a bit over a year ago uh, yeah. to try and catch up a bit. Uh, what we, we'd really like it to be eight or nine months, really. Not saying that right. there's anything wrong with a six-month cheese, but if really? we, I, we yeah. think it just improves a little bit more uh, when it gets to eight or nine months. We also do do a vintage version, which uh, the only people that really sell it are ourselves and Andy Swinsco, actually. Oh, um, okay. And that tends to be sort of uh, 12 to, to sort of 18 months old. So tell us about the flavours at the different ages then. So at sort of six, you said eight months is your sort of optimum for you. What, what, what would you expect, or you know, what would you like it to be tasting of at that stage? Well, the things that I'm looking for, and I look at it rather simplistically, mm. some of these buyers come and they, they can sort of detect all sorts of things, and I'm, I'm afraid I'm not brilliant at it, but the things I look, at, look for in our cheese are, are nutty, citrus and sweet flavours, and it should sort of have a, a, a meaty texture. That's our traditional Red Leicester. I'm going to let you into a secret here because our vintage, um, and I'm sort of letting everybody into it, aren't I? Yes. We say what? we specially select our vintage <laughs> to age on. In truth, our, our vintage selects itself a little bit because it, it can be cheese that we're not 100% satisfied with because it needs a bit more time. That's fair. The flavours might not yeah. be quite right, but we find yeah. if we age on that bit more, it turns into something that's a bit more punchy. It's probably right. not even really Red Leicester anymore when it gets to that stage. It's, it's vintage Red Leicester. It's something else. It can be a bit more fighty, a bit more bitey. Yeah, uh, that's a little interesting. Bit, you know, and, and people, and, and Andy sells loads of it. You know, we, we've run out. We, he, he'll, he can sell more than we have. Yeah, um, wow. Does it dry? So, it must, does it change texture? It must dry, get drier, presumably, as it. Yeah, it tends to dry. And sometimes yeah. it's because it needs a bit more time to dry out. It might be that ah, it's a little yes. bit too sort of soft uh, at this sort of six to yeah. eight month stage that um, that we that we will age it on. Yeah. Um, so that works really well. I've been writing about food for about sort of thirty years now, and I've seen the rise of, of a lot of sort of new people entering the cheesemaking world in Britain, making cheeses. Lots of them are making smaller cheeses, I would say, and more continental styles. It's really interesting that you're making, you know, a big <laughs> and an yeah. old cheese and you're reviving it. And that's sort of fascinating. Have you had a good response? Have people been really excited by the fact that you were bringing back a, a fine version of a, of a territorial cheese? Oh, absolutely. And people love it. Um, and, you know, we uh, it was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, 
uh, at the time we weren't well done you know that pub visit we, brought results then didn't it <laughs> absolutely yes <laughs> always go yes. to the pub for your best ideas this is it absolutely yes, yes. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yes it, it was um yes we have had a good response we've been we've been very lucky and we've sold a, i think sold a lot of cheese on the back of the fact that you know it, it is a, it, it's it's a good story it's a good thing for leicestershire mm. that, yes. that we that we got it going again so um you know we're very proud of that yeah and have you had uh, i don't know have you, you know have customers in the way that your so in fact your friend the one who had these memories that inspired you has he tried your cheese and then has he you know has it has he been a bit for you know taking him back to his childhood? Has it done that for him? Yes, I hope so. He's not the kind of person you get a straight answer out of ever, but uh, <laughs> which is probably why. <laughs> lots of lots of other people have said you know it's very when we started selling cheese on the farmers market, it was, lots of people would walk past us and say, "I don't like Red Leicester," so we'd have to ah. say, "Please, you know, just try it. This is different. It's it, this, yes. this this this. You know, it's handmade. It's raw milk, all that sort of thing." Yeah. Uh, and they'd come back and try it, and they'd put it in the mouth, and you could see they'd be like there'd be a bit of a dawning. They'd uh, they think actually, I like that. And they're surprised. Ah, I'd probably yes. get a little bit with any sort of um, artisan yes. cheese. But I yeah, think we probably yeah. had a bit of a battle to get the Definitely. message across to start with to make people realize. And of course, I you know, right. yeah. the, I think the cheese we're making now is, is different to the cheese we were making when we first started. Well, I'd like to think it's better. You know, it's it, yes. like I said earlier, I'm still learning now. We, we still we tweak the recipe. We try and improve it. We find ways of getting the the, the, the flavor of the cheese to be more pronounced and more of the milk and of, and of, of the, the environment and the farm. So, that's interesting. I mean, that's what's so fascinating about cheese making is, is, is sort of the complexity of it. So obviously, you, you know, you've gone on a massive sort of learning curve. And as you said, you're still learning are they you know so what are some things that, that you know like i don't know would your cheese making vary with the seasons because presumably the cows are feeding you know it's different in winter from, is, is their milk different you know in the winter from it you know what it's like in the spring do you do you then have to tweak your cheese making to to, to accommodate those differences Yes, but they're very subtle tweaks because uh -huh. we, car we carve cows all year round to make sure that we've got some fresh carved cow's milk all the time. Right. Um, and so we'll feed, the during the summer, we'll still feed the cows a little bit of, of barley. We grow our own barley and, and, oh. and beans, so we'll feed a bit of that just to yeah. try and keep the consistency of the milk. But yes, there is there is differences between spring and summer and autumn. And, and particularly when we change things, we found quite early on that if we change something very quickly um that, that it would affect the milk and okay you know that might be a t time when we get a cheese which wasn't so good and we'd look back and say well we changed that quite quickly ah. and I, I think the store and I, I think that also made me realize how much how important it is that what you feed the cows will affect the cheese and, and the story i always relate is, is uh, one hot dry summer we were um we were getting short of feed for the cows so we were getting short of grass. So I bought a lorry load of carrots, which were the split ones and the bent ones. And I took a bucket full of, when I mean a bucket full, like three quarters of a ton of carrots and spread them out in the <laughs> not field. A bucket, not like my little bucket that I take <laughs> no, out to the garden. Then, okay? No, a forklift <laughs> bucket full. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. yeah. And I spread it in the field and the cows, of course, oh, wow, that's lovely. You know, they yeah. munched away at them, loved them. Yeah. And two days later, we were making cheese and the milk smelt slightly of carrots and the cheese tasted of carrots. Oh, wow. Uh, and that, that was a real eye-opener for me. I'd fed them too much too soon. And, yeah. and their bodies really, and the, the biome in their guts couldn't really cope with all that and the yeah. change, so that the flavour of that went through. So, Gosh. you know, I cut the carrots back a bit and, <laughs> and several <laughs> now, things. What do you use then... was orange. Oh, so actually, <laughs> we, should, um, we should also talk about the colouring, which is that very, you know, the name, you know, Red Leicester, um, as it's called. So traditionally, so what, what gives the colour to the cheese traditionally? Uh, we use it anatto. 
Um, right. Natto comes from a South American plant, from the nut, and it's been used since the early 1800s. And it was used primarily, I, I think originally they used it because uh, a cheese that with a slightly deeper colour, as with Cheshire, was considered to, yes. to be made with better quality milk. Uh, ah, and then, yeah. I, as I understand it, the factors who bought the cheese from the farmers' wives in Leicestershire and, and sold it in the markets in, in Hinkley, Leicester, uh, and London um, also sold the farmers' wives the anatto. So if they right. if they used more anatto, the cheese stood out better in the marketplace, and they sold more anatto. So that it was a win-win for them. They <laughs> yes, go right. wrong. <laughs> you can see why. Yes, might have an yeah. incentive there, mightn't they? Yeah, it's yes. actually see, it's very traditional. Yes, it gives. It's, I mean, it's very. It makes your cheese very easy to spot on a, on a on a cheese counter, doesn't it? Because it's got this wonderful orange. Colour. Absolutely, yes. Yes, every yeah. cheese board needs a bit of colour. Absolutely. Well said. There speaks a red Leicester maker. So now, David, that you've you know learnt, I suppose, in a way, how much work goes into cheese making. When you eat, I don't know, a bit of, you know, Graham Kirkham's Lancashire or the Applebee's Cheshire, do you have a real respect? You know, you must have, a, you must understand in a way that I have probably got no idea. You must know how much hard work goes into making cheeses like that then. Oh, absolutely, yes. And and and, and the Apple, I, we chat uh, to the Applebee's and And, and, and they're Graham, lovely, Sarah. I, you yeah. know, I, I see quite a lot of Graham. Mm. Uh, and... Whenever we meet, we nearly Graham and I nearly always have an argument about whose cheese is the best at melting. So you know, I have a recipe, <laughs> and he has a recipe, and uh, yeah. we. we uh, I was very lucky to go to America with Neil's yard and 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 to try and sell our cheese, and Graham and I went together. So mm. there was always a bit of a bit of a dispute. Over who's, yeah. In my opinion, it was obvious, it was clear, but. Uh, so there's a bit, yes, it's a bit of rivalry. Lancashire is famously good melting cheese, uh, but that's because I've been talking to Graham. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. Isn't that interesting? And just yeah. have there been moments where you've seen, you know, have you gone on this amazing journey? Have you then sort of seen your your cheese? I don't know on a menu in an amazing restaurant or on sale in a beautiful shop, and just felt this real sense of I don't know. It must be very oh, exciting when it, that happens. Uh, it yeah. makes the hairs on the back of your, your neck stand up to think that the position we were in, you know, before we started making cheese. And and I used to represent farmers in, in the in the cooperatives and for the NFU, and mm. and and we used to go to these meetings and the, and the old guys that were there at the end of it they'd always sum up and say well it, it's jam tomorrow, meaning what we're doing will hopefully lift the milk price one day but but it's not going to be today, yeah. uh, and I think going to those meetings I eventually just thought there is no jam it's not going to yeah. come yes yeah, never um, coming I'm going to wow. do something different. And probably yes. that was the best thing I could have done to, to, to decide that, that we needed to do something different. Yeah, fantastic. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's a brilliant, in a way, isn't it exciting that you, you know, you needed to for financial reasons as a dairy farmer. And then you went back and revived this cheese and have found this one, you know, and found a market for it. And that's really inspiring, isn't it? That's a sort of wonderful mix of old and new meeting together. You know, that's brilliant. Yes, I think we've had a lot of luck on the way. And, you know, which uh, we've had a lot, of, a lot of help from the family, Joe's parents and my parents. Uh, when we first started making, they helped us a lot, uh, and, th and that makes a big difference. We, you know, when you're starting out, it's, um, you need that. You need that help. You need that l leg up to get you going. But I don't. I, I, I don't think we knew what we were setting out, uh, setting out to do. Really, <laughs> you know, we'd had all that yeah. advice, but we didn't really know anybody would buy our cheese. Yes. I think you have to have a leap yeah. of faith sometimes, don't you? Yeah. Well, it's, yes. I mean, it's interesting. Often I talk to people who've 
taken my, you know, who've fallen in love with, with cheesemaking and who's set out with, you know, no real idea and very little money. And, and then I'm talking to them, you know, 20 years later down the line and, you know, it's worked for them and it's quite exciting. Yeah. I was wondering within your family, does your son, Will, is he, is he interested in, in the cheesemaking side of it? He is, absolutely. And it's a shame he couldn't make it. But um, about five or six years ago, we decided that we were going to try and make a blue cheese. Uh, oh. Because uh, uh, we are uh, in Leicestershire, we would be uh, we would be able to make Stilton, uh, call our cheese Stilton if we wanted to, as it right. is. Uh, um, so I think five years ago we started. So Will came home from university, it just timed it right. So he started making what we called Spark and Ho Blue. It's not Stilton because it's made with raw milk, so we're not allowed right. to call it Stilton. Oh yes, of course, yes. Um, yep. And it's it's incredibly difficult cheese to make, um, but Will's um, making great strides and working really hard, and I think he's really beginning to nail it now and uh, and, and getting and getting it really good. So, so um, he's got the cheese bug as well. Then you've just passed uh, it on. Yeah, yeah well, poor lad, he didn't really have much choice. We said we've set this up. Do you want to? He had, you know, it was it was a, <laughs> when he got him from. Do you want to do it or not? Because if you don't, we have, we need to find somebody else that you know to yeah. be the cheese, the head cheese maker. Uh, because I couldn't, oh. I, you know, I manage the cows and 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 I'm and I manage the um, the red Leicester cheese making, but I couldn't. Yes. we really needed somebody to look after that, and and it's it's absolutely works brilliantly with with William doing that. And he works very hard at it. Oh well, it is hard work. So, oh well, listen, David, thank you. That was really lovely to hear your story, and it's a great story and um, a beautiful cheese. I mean, it's a lovely. I think of it as always quite a gentle cheese, the Spark and Ho. You know, it's a very yes. pleasant yes. in that way, that lovely, which one of the things I love actually about that sort of whole family of territorials, if I think of Appleby's Cheshire or Graham's, you know, they, they're really, yeah, I always put my hand up for a second piece, I think would be the way I would, yes. I would We like it. to think it's Moorish and, yeah. and, and Yes, and exactly. Can... It's a kind of, you want a big chunk in your fridge because you can just go and cut a slab off and, you know, it's, 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 it's good cheese to have, yes. uh, you know, waiting to yeah, be eaten. Absolutely. Um, Oh, that's lovely. Oh, well, thank you, David. I really appreciate your time. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank Take you care, very then. much, Jenny. Bye-bye. Thank Bye you. Bye. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com. Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.